You know, I, I read an inter- interesting statistic the other day um, that, you know, almost 50% of businesses are sold or exited not voluntarily by the business owner, which I was a bit surprised about because, you know, you think when you start a business, you're going to plan, you're going to exit it on your terms. And yeah, certainly there's situations where a business, uh, there's a forced exit because of, uh, you know, some life tragedy like, you know, death or disability, uh, the pandemic, uh, divorce, a dispute with a partner. But I thought 50% was a significant number that half the businesses are sold not by the wishes of the ownership. So today we're going to continue our conversation from our last podcast with uh, Brian Kerrigan. Brian, welcome. Thank you, Keith. Uh, Brian's managing partner of Vision Growth, and he is an expert on helping owners plan for the exit of their company and does it over an extended period of time and has been doing it for a number of years. And so, Brian, that, that that's an incredible stat, right? I mean- It's amazing. You, you never think about that when you say, you think you're going to say a company, and then all of a sudden it's like, well, there's uh, there's no buyer. Or it's being sold at a discount because I didn't plan, right? Right, and it, it yeah. So, uh, from your perspective, you know, when I made that, how does that sit with you? Well, it it scares me to think that someone spent their lifetime building a business and they can lose, you know, fifty percent of its value because they have a, an event in their life that they couldn't control. It's scary, but you know, one of the ways that we try to deal with that, each client that we work with has an emergency plan. That emergency plan takes effect as soon as there is a death, a disability, or some other reason why the business owner can't work. And it's a detailed plan about how someone else from the family or someone else from the outside can come in and continue to run the company in the same fashion that it's been run and at the same time preserve the value of the asset for the family. Because if you, you know, when you're starting to talk about early deaths or early disabilities, you really can't have that and a and a loss in your business value because at some point you're not going you're not going to be able to work anymore or your family's going to be without you and they're going to need the full value of the company to be able to live their lives. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, like the emergency plan you're talking about, right? Because businesses that we talk to, they have they have emergency plans in there for the company, right? Like if if we lose power, yeah, uh, or you know there's uh, uh, an incident on the, on the factory floor, uh, or there's a breach, God forbid, from some kind of cybersecurity hack. Mm-hmm. You know they have all these plans they put into place, but you know having an emergency plan uh, for a transitional ownership or transitional management, you know most owners don't even think about that. No, and it's something that's one of the first things we cover with them when we actually come in is we need to be able to put an emergency plan in place because of something that will preserve the value of something happens to the business owner. Um, because it's just the consequences are dire if something, some, some event happens that disables or kills the business owner. And if that business is not set to move forward, in that situation, you're going to lose the value, and you're going to lose the value very quickly. Right. 
So, you know, it's just because you have the emergency. And, and, and I look at involuntary is a couple different ways, right? Obviously, mm-hmm. death, disability, disability, excuse me, uh, divorce, disputes mm-hmm. uh, with, with, with a partner. But also, <laughs> I'll give you an example. You know, involuntary could be that there's just no buyers. Right. Right? Because how can you not have a buyer for my business? Right? No one ever thinks about that because you're, you're in your silo. You're running your company. So again, I'll give you a quick example, and I'd love to hear you know uh, from you as well. Uh, you know, we get I get calls a lot from you know client potential clients referrals to us, and I, you know, if it's not a fit for our auction process, how we work and how we help owners sell through, you know, we try to help them somewhere else, right? Maybe right. Uh, introduce them to somebody that's handles you know, smaller companies, or give them a couple ideas that they can move forward with. But I had a situation about I guess about a month ago, maybe more than that. And the owner called me up. And he says, I want to sell. And he's second generation. And he's taken, been taking out a really good chunk of change over the last 10 years. Mm. I said, well, you know, but his sales have gone from $5 million to $2 million, mm. Right? I said, what happened with the sale? Well, we have one customer. I said, you have one customer? I said, we have one customer. My father got this customer years ago. And what we do is we just basically have... You know, I'm talking five years ago. They've had this customer for a long time. Yeah. We have basically handled the legacy line of this product, which is in the medical field, right? So it's, you got to keep it going for seven years. Mm-hmm. But they're not giving us any new business, right? So he's still taking out the same amount of money, mm-hmm. but sales have gone down. He's never had an inkling or energy or whatever to go out and diversify his customer base. Mm. And then I said, okay, so he's in manufacturing. Well, how about your management team? Well, it's really kind of me. And then I have my two key guys who do my, you know, all my prep work and operation work and everything else. And, mm. but they're both over seven. They want to retire. Yeah. And I'm like, I mean, you, there's, there's not a buyer for that business. Right. No. Right. No, because there's really no value to the legacy line. Right. So I said to him, I said, yeah, I think the best thing, why don't you call one of your friendly competitors, you know, in your region mm-hmm. and, uh, excuse me. And, uh, See if you can cut a deal with them, hmm. you know, but so when you're like trying to get in early, like we talked about before, three to five to seven years out. Right. So when you walk into a situation, you see declining revenues, maybe margin or suppressed, maybe some customer concentration and you have some time to work with the business. Right. Yeah. You know, how do you get them to like, okay, buy in, you know, like, okay, we need to do the following. Uh, if you want to get, if you want to have an opportunity even to sell it, yeah. Well, I, I think it's part of the process is going through and showing them that you know the value of their business is declining on a daily basis. I mean, what you described is almost a lifestyle business. Exactly, it's not a saleable business. It's not. You know, and it and they would they probably should have known seven years before that it wasn't going to be a saleable business if they were dependent upon one customer and their two key people were over seven years old and they wanted to retire. I mean, that's a case where you could have sort of turned over the management team, diversified the you know diversified the revenue streams, right. put good sales processes in place, good put, put good sales strategies in place, and you could have gone out and acquired more customers during that time period. That would have diversified your revenue, but also would have got would have gotten the sales up, you know, back up to five million dollars. Um, I mean, just decline. I mean, if I'm a buyer and I come in and look at a business and the sales have declined from five million to two million dollars, I mean, major red flag. It's not a, it's not attractive at all. They're going to walk. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, it's just the nature of it. Unless they're. Uh, 
you know, opportunistic buyer and they're going to pay a very, very small price multiple mm-hmm. for it. So, I mean, that's the kind of extreme situation I just want to you know, talk about. But maybe, you, can go, you know, look, you, you've you been doing this a long time and you've had a lot of success. Um, and I know all your clients greatly appreciate it. And they made the investment with you and, you know, not just with you, but also additional investments in whether it be machinery and personnel and systems, et cetera, mm-hmm. to get it there, you know, you know. I'd love to hear maybe a, a little a story where you started with a company doing, you know, five, 10 million and we figured the value today was X. And then, you know, five years later we got them to 15, 20 million and the value was way up here. Why? Right. So, yeah. I mean, uh, just if you, yeah. you know, some of the things that you did to help them get there um, would be, I think really helpful for our audience to understand. Um, yeah. Well, I'll kind, of, I'll kind of give you an amalgamation because there's been so many different Perfect. issues through yeah. every different companies throughout the years. But you know, generally when we go in, um, we're gonna we're gonna go in and we're, we're very sales centric. So you know, we I I honestly believe that if you don't have sales, you don't have a company. And I think some people want to fight me on that and say operations is more important than sales. But at the end of the day, if you're driving sales and your margins are staying constant and you're growing your profit base, you're making you know in your EBITDA checks out. Um, you're going to have a, a much more valuable company. So I've gone into a lot of companies where, okay, let's say it's a $10 million business and they're making $2 million a year, right. but their margins have been deteriorating. And as the margins are deteriorating, they're becoming less attractive and their multiples becoming, their, their profits are less and their multiples becoming less appealing because they really don't seem to have a sustainable competitive advantage that will allow them to get a higher multiple. Mm-hmm. And when you go in, when you walk into that situation, you need to, you know, you need to do a couple different things. I mean, first you have to understand why the margins are going down. You know, are they, you know, are they not pricing their goods properly? Are they... Are they buying materials and not passing that cost on to customers? Are they inefficient and do they have a lot of waste in their systems in terms of production if we're talking about a manufacturer? But the first thing we need to do is steady the margin. Right. And once we steady the margin, then we can focus on sales. Because there's no, there's there's not a lot of sense putting sa- more sales into a system if That's they're not profitable. They're not sales. making money on it, right? No. I mean, yeah. I mean, we. It's just, it's interesting because we went through that scenario a couple of different times, and 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 over the last year, that's become a real hot button issue because of supply chain problems, right? Right. So, and whether especially in manufacturing, you know, and and you're probably with your current client is dealing with that every day, but mm. it's like okay, when and how much do I pass along to my customer? And we've had customers that tried to hold the margin, hold the price because they had pretty good margin. For you know six months and said like I I, I got to pass it on now. So all of a sudden their margin was mid to sixty five percent margins down at about fifty two. Mm. The first question the buyers well, why is your margin off? So well I was delaying passing along the price increases because you know I'm afraid about losing the business or I'm you know it's been a long term customer I'm trying to work with them you know it's our relationship it's a business decision right? But to your point is that that's a constant hot button. Yeah, because the devil's in the details, and when we you know get due diligence, to your point, the buyer, the transaction services group is going to see a a margin product 
skew margin analysis, product line margin analysis, mm-hmm. uh, where the margin's been, you know, how much is commodity driven because your margins are up, your prices are up because mm-hmm. of commodities, but so your sales are up, but what's, what's driving that? Is that really new business? Mm-hmm. Or is that because you raised your prices because of right. your costs went up? And you'd be surprised, if not shocked, of how many buyers will back away when the revenue's up, but it's not because of, of more sales, but right. because you raised your prices. Right. And even though you got even more margin. I and mean, we had a situation uh, about a year ago where our client purposely, like you said, cut out several lines of business. They went through the analysis you just talked about mm. and said, we're not making real money on this. So they actually reduced the units that they were selling, but they raised the margin, their prices went up and their margin went up based on their higher profitable margins. And, and I couldn't believe it. The buyer walked away because they said, we were concerned about your unit sales. I'm like, so really? the airline industry. Yeah. I said they consolidated to go. You try to get a seat on a plane right now. Everyone's full. Right. Right. Because they took a lot of planes off, you know, out of, out of, out of service. Mm. And so you get on a plane right now, they're making much more money per seat right. versus having too many planes out there half full. So, you know, you never know how buyers can look at it. But to your point, that detailed analysis, you know, make sure you have. You're making money, mm-hmm. buy product line, buy SKU, whatever, right? Absolutely. And then, and then you can focus on the growth piece. Yeah, you if you in with declining margins, you always have to stabilize those margins before you really focus on sales. Because you know, as you as you know, and I think we talked about earlier, I mean, putting unprofitable sales into a company does does you no good on uh, at the end of the day on a transaction. So your first kind of like homework assignment when you do your scoring on this and you come in and you mm-hmm. you focus on the product you focus on the margins which i think is important as every that's a key factor and so when you go back and you sit with your client and say hey you know we gotta reevaluate where you're at with this mm. you know what kind of pushback do you get because you know don't forget they got to go to their customer and say hey by the way i'm raising my prices by x you know, um, first I like I like to focus first internally because the longer you're in like a manufacturing type right. business or a construction type business, the more waste creeps into your system, and you know maybe the conversation before going back to the customers say, okay, let's look at our systems and processes and see if we're operating as efficiently as possible. If we conclude that we're operating as efficiently as possible, well then we're going to have to go back to the customer and have the conversation about raising the prices. Um, but I first like to look internally at what the operations are doing and whether there's some accumulated waste and expense in the system. Okay. So, you know, it's interesting because it's almost like, you know, larger companies have big departments, mm-hmm. right? They have analysts and they're focused on this, 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 and this, and this million different things. Mm-hmm. And it's all reporting up to the CFO and say, hey, we got to look at this, we got to look at this. And mm-hmm. so you kind of act as that more of a broader approach for, you know, you know, you're, you, what typical client of yours, 20, hundred employees, 250 employees, you know? Yeah. I mean, they range from, I mean, it can range from 10 to a hundred million, but I would say the sweet spots in the 20 to 25, right. 100, so 200 employees. Right. So the, the, most of those employees, probably the smallest department is their financial department. Right. Right. Maybe a CFO, maybe a controller. If you're lucky, you have a cost accounting, 
mm-hmm. then you have your receivables, payables person, and you get your payroll, right? So it sounds like, you know, what you're doing, you're adding that whole analyst-type yeah. function on a on an ongoing basis to kind of monitor these things. Right. So that the owners are will be in a good position. And even if some tragic event happens, you've been in there, you've helped them establish a plan so that if the sister or the cousin or the mother or the husband, whoever, can step into a um, the operations and even though they may not ever been there, at least there's a structure in place. Yep. That they don't have to call up customer A and say, hey, my husband passed away, I'm not running the business, or want to keep your work. That's not the answer the customer wants to hear. No. Right? Customer's pretty nervous at that point. Right. They want to hear, hey, unfortunately, you know, Jim passed away, but then the, the sales guy, the sales engineer, the three of them get on a call together and say, look, we got it under control. Everybody, you're, you're, everything's running smoothly, um, and that you know our, our 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 finances are in order, our bank's behind us, and that you can be assured that things will be delivered in a timely manner, right? right? Not just someone coming in off the street saying, you know, I want to keep your business. Who doesn't even know how, what what a, what, a, what it means to turn or, or 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 grind or do an IOD on a part or whatever right. or service, right? So maybe uh, I'd love to hear you know, from a satisfaction perspective, because I'm always about, like we just closed this deal the other day and I called my client on the way up here, you know, toward the, and I said, I told him, I said, look, I just want to let you know, it's been, I really enjoyed working with you. Mm. Uh, I'm happy we got the outcome. I know it's been a, you know, a long, you know, nine month process, but mm. I hope you feel good about it. Right. Right. I mean, for me, that's, that's what it's, and the answer is, thank you. I couldn't have done it without you. Uh, your team was terrific mm. and I am very happy. That's what I want to hear, right? That's what we all want to hear. Right. So, I mean, at the end of the day, that's what I'm looking for. I, I'm in a unique position because we actually kind of become part of the management team. You know, right. we end up, especially in companies that are in that $20, 25000000 million range, you have a CFO who is really more accounting oriented and not strategy and analytic, analytical, analytically oriented. We become part of that management team and we become close with these people and we want to make sure that we're, we're a positive step in the process for them. We want to help them increase the value of their company. We right. want them to increase the multiple of their company because ultimately we want them to live the life that they deserve in retirement and we want them to leave a, g- a great legacy for their loved ones. Yeah, and I think I think what's important about what you, your, your role you're playing is the employees see what you're doing mm. because they're still going to be there. Right. Right. This is their second home. And I always say, you know, it's find the right buyer that's the right fit, that the, the overall value. And when, when we talk about value, it's not just the price. We've had a number of com- com- clients that have taken a lower price because they felt that the buyer was a better fit. And they did that because they felt that they are going to be the right person to drive the legacy of my company and treat my employees well, mm-hmm. have a home to work, you know, into the future. Right. So. What you're doing is the, when the employees see that you're in there doing what you're doing, right? Mm-hmm. They're seeing that the owner is looking to get his or her ducks in a row so that the business is sustainable, profitable, 
um, and that will continue on past, you know, when they exit, which right. is going to be inevitable at some point in time. Yeah. So, but Brian, this has been uh, great. Any, uh, you know, we didn't, one area we didn't really touch on is like, you know, which, um, you know, is, 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 I think is important also when you get involved is, you know, is it kind of like the state and, and tax planning, right? Yeah. Make sure that they understand what their obligation is going to be to federal state government. Because we don't want to, we always bring that up. Yeah. Uh, to make sure they know that you don't want them to sit the table and they're out to close and all of a sudden they got a $2 million tax bill. No, I, I, the only thing I would say about that is start doing your tax planning well before the transaction. Right. Because it's it's going to do you no good to be six months out from a transaction trying to take valuation discounts right. on gifts into a trust. Yeah, so we look at the financials, the sales, operations, uh, the people, yeah, outside consultants all kind of fall into this whole, you know, exit you know, planning for a company and you're kind of quarterbacking it. Yeah. That's your job. No, make, that's sure my job. All, make sure it all happens. Um, as I was saying, uh, any final thoughts before we wrap up? I really appreciate you coming today. It's been great. The only final thought I would have is, you know, sometimes it's not a sale, right? Sometimes it's just transfer to the next generation. There you and, go. Yeah. and we still serve a purpose there because we want to leave a stronger company to the next generation that will survive. As, as, as we pass generation to generation, they're more likely to not survive. Great. Well, thank you, Brian Kerrigan, Vision Growth, Managing Partner. This has been terrific. We really appreciate you being here. Uh, again, um, thank you for joining us today. Uh, my name is Keith D., President and Founder of Osage Advisors. Uh, appreciate you joining our podcast today, The Ins and Outs of Selling a Business. To learn more about our company, Osage Advisors, please uh, you can visit us on the website at osageadvisors.com. Uh, feel free to send me an email at kdee at osageadvisors.com or give me a call at 860-767-3273, extension 1001. Again, thank you for being here today and have a great day.